You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, today we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 which uh, it's a pretty traditional text to read right after Easter because what we're reading about here, after all, it it takes place on the very first Easter in, in the late afternoon toward evening. So let me read it for you. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, 
It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is God's word. Well, in a way, reading this kind of feels like we're eavesdropping here. I mean, uh, we're, we're... we're basically overhearing this private moment between two friends who are walking uh, on the road to Emmaus after a, a, a pretty intense, pretty confusing day. Emmaus is, is kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. And, and so even though it's Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, like the Easter Sunday, they don't know it. <clears throat> they don't get it. To them, Jesus is dead and gone. They, they don't have the whole picture. In this, I mean, it, it creates some really dramatic tension here because the, the crucified and risen Jesus shows up alive and in person, but they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. The text actually says that they were kept from recognizing him. But it wouldn't be kept from them for long, though. So anyway, Jesus, uh, the risen Jesus joins his two friends incognito as they're walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus and incognito Jesus asks them what they're talking about and so they just stop dead in their tracks they can't believe that he hasn't heard I mean everyone in Jerusalem was talking about it so so they give him the lowdown on, on everything that's happened including the wild reports from some of the women in their group who said that their crucified rabbi got up and walked out of the grave. Crazy talk. But then, right right in the middle of explaining what happened, right in the middle of their little speech, one of the friends, Cleopas, says something here. And and every time I read this, every time I hear it, it's it's like a, a ninja kick to the gut. Because it's like Cleophas here is taking all of our scars and and all of our scabs, all of our bruises and our pain and and all of our doubts about God and our disappointments. It's it's like Cleophas here is taking a deep, dark part of our lives and squeezing it into one sentence. It's in verse 21. He says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel but we had hoped. Man, those words want to stick in your throat because I'd be willing willing to bet that that sometime in your life that you've said these same words or or something very much like them. I know that I have, I mean, probably more times than I'd care to admit. But we had hoped. Now, what our two Emmaus roadwalkers had hoped was that Jesus would be the one to save Israel. But then, then he went and got himself killed. And when Jesus died, their hopes died with him. Jesus and all their hopes were crucified, dead, and buried. But we had hoped. And I mean, here's the thing. They were just disappointed They were disappointed by God. They were disappointed in God. And that's a hard road to walk, isn't it? 
That's a dark and lonely road, isn't it? And we've walked that road too, haven't we? But we had hoped that God was the one who would save our marriage. But we had hoped that God was the one who would help us kick the habit once and for all. But we had hoped that God would be the one to help us get a job that that pays enough and that we don't hate doing. But we had hoped that God was the one who would provide what we needed so that we could actually retire. But we had hoped that God was the one who would cure our cancer or our migraines or our depression. But we had hoped that God was the one who would help us to get pregnant. But we had hoped that God would be the one who would bring our kids back to the faith. But we had hoped that God would be the one to answer all of our 911 emergency prayers. That we pray in a desperate attempt to survive the heartbreaking suffering of this life. But we had hoped. Seriously, one of the hardest and worst struggles in the life of a believer is having to deal with the fact that God does not and will not promise to live up to our hopes. And boy, we sure do have a lot of hopes, don't we? And we're not the only ones either. I I mean, mean, have you read the Psalms, right? Right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? One time or another, all throughout human history, God's people feel like God's not there, like like God's dragging his feet in, in giving us what we're hoping for. We feel like God's not there when we need him. But we had hoped. So, I mean, what, what do you do, though, in, in that spot? What, what, what do you do about this? What do you do when God doesn't and isn't living up to your hopes? What do you do when you're walking that dark, lonely road? Well, uh, and, and, and here's finally some good news for you. Thankfully, it's not a question of what you do. It's what God does. When you're hurt, when you're disappointed, when you're let down, when when you're walking your own personal, dark, lonely road to Emmaus, you know what God does? He walks with you. God doesn't usually rescue us from having to walk that dark and lonely Emmaus road, but he does walk with us. He does walk with you all the way, to just, just like he did with those first two Emmaus road walkers. Remember what it says in Psalm 34, verse 18. God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So even when you don't think he's walking with you, he's walking with you. I mean, the Emmaus roadwalkers had no idea that Jesus was walking with them. And you and I, we might be kept from recognizing him too for a time. But he's still there. He's still walking with you. 
whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you even want to believe it or not, Jesus Christ is walking with you. Now, do you know what makes that possible? I mean, we could never walk with him unless he first came to walk with us. So you know what Jesus had to do in order to walk with us? Well, if you, uh, if you look up walking in your Bible, I mean, you know, like actual physical walking with your legs and feet. If you look up walking in the Bible and you, you grab a concordance or something and you do a word study of walking in the Bible, look up all the places where, where that word shows up. It's really interesting because uh, guess who the person is that walks the most? Guess who walks the most in scriptures? Yep, it's Jesus. He walks more than anybody else. It, it says, I mean, it, it looks, it appears like he's basically walking all the time. And to do that, first of all, to walk with us, God had to become human. Then, God had to become poor because rich people don't walk everywhere. They ride. E- even back when Jesus lived, Jesus was always walking because he was poor. So G- God knew that, that if, if Jesus was going to walk with us, he not only had to become human, but he had to also become poor. And when you're human and when you're poor, you're vulnerable. And so when God became human and poor in the person of Jesus Christ, it exposed him. That exposed him to our hostility. That exposed him to human violence and cruelty. That exposed him to human suffering. But he still came. He still came to walk with us. And we killed him. We tortured him to death on a cross. But some way, somehow, this was all part of God's plan. Jesus was sent to the cross. Jesus was put on the cross because according to the will of God, Jesus died for our sins in order to tear down the dividing wall between us and God. And now Jesus is risen from the dead to walk with you. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed and he's walking with you. Believe it. Receive it. Trust in it. Jesus is alive and he is walking with you. So walk with him. Walk with him in faith. Walk with him in trust. Walk with him in obedience. Walk with him in peace. Walk with him in confidence. Walk with Jesus Christ because he is walking with you. But Jesus isn't only walking with us either. He's also speaking to us. Jesus speaks with us. And and the words that Jesus speaks aren't like any other words, okay? Because he, like it says in the Gospel of John, he has the words of eternal life. Just look how Jesus 
talks to to, uh, the first Emmaus roadwalkers here. It's in verse 24. And first of all, Jesus gives them kind of a a gentle rebuke, sort of a, a, a brotherly course correction, maybe. And then, though, then he fills them up with words of life and hope. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So just, just think of the, the, the great and beautiful irony here. I mean, Jesus' death, it absolutely crushed these guys' hopes. But it was actually that death which accomplished exactly what they were hoping for. And then some. They had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, but he was crucified. But it turns out that it was in that crucifixion that he did redeem, not just Israel, but the whole wide world. So Jesus tells them that his suffering in death was necessary for the redemption of Israel. When, when these Emmaus disciples were, were stumbling along the dark and lonely road, Jesus shows up like noonday sun. Jesus speaks words of hope. And in verse 32, it says that that their hearts burned in their chests. It set their hearts on fire. This is who Jesus is. This is how he works. This is what he does. He doesn't abandon us in our grief. He he joins us in it. He, He suffers with us. Jesus himself, according to the scriptures, uh, is called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. I mean, in his own darkest hour, Jesus himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when he speaks to us, listen, listen. His words aren't like any other words. His words carry weight. The words that that once spoke all of life into existence now speak life into you. His words forgive sin. His words bring dead people out of their graves. His words create hope. Jesus pours himself into us in these words. Now, now we might feel nothing. We might feel numb. We, We might feel nothing at all. But his words will strengthen us and feed us and lead us. His words will see us through, even even as we walk some of the darkest and loneliest roads. So in your pain and in your suffering and in your loss, in the midst of whatever it is that is absolutely crushing your hopes. Jesus Christ is walking with you 
And Jesus Christ is speaking to you. He is the spark that lights the fire of hope that burns in your heart. In your great darkness, Jesus is the light. In your terrible loneliness, Jesus is your true and faithful companion. And when your life is flooded by overwhelming grief, Jesus is the ark that keeps you safe. And when the wolves of this life are circling you and and looking to tear you apart, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life to protect you. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can take you away from him. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. So whatever dark, lonely road to Emmaus that you're walking, maybe right now, Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive and well. And he is walking and he is talking with you right now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this scripture text today that, that reveals to us um, maybe in, in clearer ways than other texts do that, that not only is Jesus risen, not only can we meet him, but that he walks and talks with us. So, Father, help us, especially when we don't think or feel that he's there. Uh, help us to know and trust that he is. Help, help, help us to never forget that he's always there, walking with us in our regular everyday lives, and, and especially in the pain and the suffering of our lives. Help our hearts to burn in our chests too, just, just like the Emmaus Roadwalkers. And help our lives to be transformed by walking and talking with Jesus all throughout our life. For we do pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I just want to take a minute to say thank you for downloading or streaming this content today. We at Triumph pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you, and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content, and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. 
Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.